This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. We're regular people on a quest to discover the treasures in God's Word. My name is Matt. I'm a married father of two boys and a journeyman electrician by trade. With me today, we have Karen and Eric. Uh, Karen, why don't you tell us something about yourself? I am a not married <laughs> uh, master student, mother of two, grandmother of one, feeling pretty middle-aged because this is my birthday weekend. And I work for Right Party. Yeah, happy birthday. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and I work for a local government to put myself through school while I'm getting my master's. Okay. Eric, why don't you tell us about yourself? Uh, I am a commercial photographer and videographer by trade, but not by training. Actually, I was going to be a, uh, an English teacher and then ended up being a magazine editor. And I, I guess I still don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. Um, Who does? I am the grandson and son of uh, ministers pastors but i did not feel that calling myself but i do feel um, and have felt that it's important to to read the bible for myself great yeah so that is kind of the point here is that none of us here are pastors none of us are trained in any kind of clergy work at all um but we're just people who feel an importance to read the bible and um uh, but you guys, I think probably the reason you're here is because you think people are able to understand the Bible um, and you don't have to have that kind of training to do it. You just have to be a little dedicated to actually putting some time into reading and and um, just letting it talk for itself. Yeah, the worst time in human history, um, the Dark Ages, as we call them now, and the time when they crucified Christ was when everybody relied on, quote, professional clergy. And didn't do the study themselves. So I think if there's any lesson in this about relying on professionals to interpret the Bible, it would be a that's not a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and for, from my point of view, the added value to a situation like this is that it when in the past, when I have read through the Bible, I've read I've read through it by myself. That's fine. I always get something interesting out of it. Um, but when I have read through it with a group where there was ongoing discussion and other points of view, I got three, four times as much out of it. Right. Just even though those other people were laymen and it was, and it was, you know, they weren't coming at, at it with like, well, in the original Greek, it says this, it wasn't anything like that. It was just other people's perspective on what God has to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're going to do here is uh, today we're starting out on a chronological reading of the Bible. Um, I kind of decided to go this way largely because, um, well, I know I get, messed up going through the old testament of you know when was this king and who did this thing and that thing and a lot of times i know what happened but the idea of when it happened um is, is maybe not as important but um i don't know i still find it interesting to understand how the how the history goes i brought a bible which the scholars who put it put together the research notes um there's a column that runs down the center of the columns of text, mm -hmm. and it has an ongoing timeline of scholars' best estimate of when things happened. Wow. So I just, I wrote that just for kicks, because mm -hmm. I I find yeah, that cool. valuable for the times when I lose my perspective, like, wait, when did this happen? Where are we at in history? Mm -hmm. you know? what, is that, what is that Bible called? Who's the, who's the publisher of that? That's a good question. It is Voice of Prophecy. Um... So well, you can look that up while we go, but anyways, that's a valuable thing. I know we were studying um, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the children of Israel returning from Babylon, and it was very confusing in Ezra because yeah. the first few chapters don't go chronologically. Right. It's like, how could that person have spoken before they got there? And it turns out the chapters were not in chronological order. And that threw me for a loop. Yeah. And that was at the week I had brought this. It seems like I had this yeah, a lot. And you shared time. a mm -hmm. chart with them. I was like, oh. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. And I looked it up and other scholars were like, oh, yeah, by the way, this part of Ezra is not chronological. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, is a, that is a very good point to make out, too, because I think um, I know when I was young and I would start, I have this idea of wanting to read through the Bible. And, you know, you get through Genesis, Exodus, you get those two, those two the first five where everything is pretty chronological. Then you start getting into things um, that aren't and you. I, that's where I would get lost. Of course, I would get lost in Leviticus usually, but, um, you know. So, um, anyway, how about we uh, kick this off? We're going to start with uh, Genesis chapters 1 through 5. 
this week. Um, and this is not going to be, this isn't going to be a read through. This is going to be discussion. Um, so hopefully if you're listening to this, um, if you haven't read through it, I would encourage you to do so. But um, I just hope that the discussion will help you to um, make a little sense of things. Yeah. As we jump in here, I'm curious what uh, Bible translation you guys are using. I've got the New King James. Okay, so Matt's got the New King James. I actually have a parallel. So I've got four versions next to each other, which is NIV, New Living Translation, which I believe is kind of a paraphrase, New King James, and then the Message, which is definitely a paraphrase. Okay. So and that's I'm, my four. I'm reading from the ESV. Oh, good. So we've got a bunch. Yeah. We've got a lot going on. So I guess the point of that is that it's not, we're not trying to build our story based on a particular word in a particular yeah. translation. Correct. So, I mean, I guess where I get just started in Genesis 1-1 is probably one of the most profound statements in all of Christendom. And in my opinion, if we lose it, we've, we've, we just threw the compass overboard saying, now we'll just go ahead and go from here. Uh, it's yeah. that God did it. Right. Is that we are not an accident. Our existence didn't come about through just some struggle of random molecules yeah. um, one-upping each other to bring us to where we are today. And that is significantly profound as we as we move forward. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think it's a point that is even being contested within Christianity. There are certain uh, denominations and certain um, clergy who hold to the idea that we did come up through some kind of evolution process. They still want to involve God. Um, but uh, the idea of God actually having that creative power to me is lost in the way that they want to do it. Or they want to say, well, yes, God made us up through the years and the centuries um, through some evolutionary process where we just happened to show up because we had the better genes, I guess. Big, giant, um, solid gold petri dish. What yeah. can I make today? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's a, a big deal because if we don't believe that he made us, it begs the question when he shows up and says anything, we're like, well, who are you and who are you to tell me what to do? Mm -hmm. I got here on my own. Thank you very much. And um, that's... To me, as I as I read, that's a that's a big thing. It also calls into question a lot of things in Revelation, mm -hmm. where it says basically he's going to recreate, you know, at the second coming. Yeah. And if we think it took millions and millions and millions and billions and billions of years with maybe just some tweaking, you know, from the, some from some divine outside source, when it says he's going to raise the dead, what's that going to take? Ten billion years? Right. It, it just doesn't. It doesn't. Doesn't doesn't seem to fit the narrative of scripture and. It starts off right away by not explaining how. Yeah. It is a little troubling that he doesn't give us any science lesson as to how this happened. He just says this happened. Mm -hmm. I did it. Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we get into verse two there, I said it's not going to be a read through, but some of this almost we almost have to where it talks about the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Am I the only one at the table who reads that as saying that it's very possible that what they're reading about, what they're writing about here is a world that might have already been in place? Yes, God created it at some point, but now he was doing something special with it. That's, Am I the, way I, that's the way I've always taken it. I mean, the ball of the earth was there, it, but it wasn't habitable for humans. It was just sitting there. I, there are a few places in here that that struck me also when I was talking about the stars and so on. Mm -hmm. It's quite clear. It says he made them. Correct. And he organized them and he put them together and he did something with it. Yeah. Um, but yes, as I look at that too, I'm wondering if that's, if that's maybe a hint of that. Again, <clears throat> this isn't a, the author is not trying to make this a science lesson, right? You're making it a point. Yeah. God did it. Yes. Well, except that human curiosity has tried to undo that. Lesson, so it's kind of like, it's, I think it's worth a little bit of discussion. And one of the things that he says that jumps out at me that, <clears throat> that illustrates the point we're talking about is in verse 
six, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So we separated the water above the vault from the water under the vault and called the vault sky, right? Yeah. So like that's that kind of tells you where we're at. It's just the face of the deep literally means the face of the deep. And he had to make an atmosphere in there. Yeah. Yeah, so I've, I found that interesting. I hear some people try to say that um, there's this idea that, well, people say, well, you know, the stars are billions of light years away. And, well, how could God have made, you know, if he made the stars all at the same time as the planets, how'd that light get here? And I've heard things like, well, maybe he made the light already in, in transit. I, that one doesn't hold with me very well. So that's why I tend to think that the universe is probably very, very old yeah. and that even the planet is probably very, very old. Um, and maybe even the reason that when we carbon date things, that things uh, show to be very old, perhaps the materials are very, very old, but God took them together and put them together like a, you know, Play-Doh ball. I don't know. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly don't know, but that's possible. You yeah. know, if I lived in I'm, California and uh, I found a giant tree in, in the woods behind me and I, and I made a fort and somebody a hundred years later came by and found the fort and said, look, this fort's a thousand years old. Well, maybe the tree I used was a thousand years old, but it doesn't mean that that's when it was built. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's right. I don't know. Either. That's getting into. Yeah. It's just speculation. It just. I don't know. I just bring it out for curiosity. And, and I do have some interesting conversations about this. I've got a friend here in town who's uh, finishing up her degree in geology, the study of the earth. Like uh -huh. she's, she's in the layers of the earth up to her eyeballs, learning cool stuff. And she's coming to me because she knows I'm a creationist and she's an atheist. And she's coming to me going, how does this make sense to you? And I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't have any problem with the idea that the earth and the layers of the earth have sat here for so, so, so long. Right. Yeah, and she and she had never thought of that before. Alternatively, we're quite sure that our rulers are accurate, and that is the, the way we measure things. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's the other thing. I'm, I see science constantly learning and growing, and I am, I will trust that the Bible is accurate when it says God did it, but I also don't want to read into it things that it does not actually say. Right. Right. Um, Our rulers are accurate by what we know how to measure today. And, yes. and how far back does that reach or how far forward does that reach? Yeah, we have some limitations here. Yeah. And like um, like Job, which is my understanding is coming up here in a little bit, God does very yeah. little explaining to Job. He just says, yeah. how much do you know? And, and the short answer is, I don't. Not yeah. enough to judge you. And I, I think we're, we, we get to know enough. Of what matters, mm -hmm. but I'm curious. Yeah, and I and I think that's fair, and, and so on. Yeah, but as we go through here, there's some really important and interesting things that happen. Of course, God creates this and this and this, and a wide variety of things. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting that one of the things that He does as a Creator is He fills His creation with the power to procreate. Yeah, yeah. I, I may well. I would like to think some of the things I have made are art. A lot of the things I make are not, but um, they pay the bills. But I can't make my art make more art. Right. Like, that's just a thing I can't do. And that's amazing. The idea to to create a thing, a fish, a bird, um, a, a mammal, and say, now go make more. Even grass. Even the yeah. grass can procreate. Right. It's, yeah. it's an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. And it's ridiculously complex. And what we used to think was a fairly simple, straightforward thing, yeah, 150 years ago, now we understand is incredibly complex. I mean, there's just there's just nothing wasted. I, I started college as a biology major, and I had interest in biology. Mm -hmm. And as we get into genetics and microbiology, and we start looking at the coding that's happening here and the flexibility of the coding, its ability to change due to environmental circumstances and then change back when those environmental influences are, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, we've, we're working super hard on artificial intelligence now that doesn't even touch what can fit into a single cell. 
And to me, I look at that, I think there is no way I can believe that this organic, organized set of instructions <laughs> with millions and millions and millions and millions of replicable instruction yes. sets yeah. is, the, is, so, it, it is the outcome of chance. Yeah. To me, that's a hard stop. It's just no. Yeah. There's a lot of things I don't understand about Genesis and about a lot of other things, but the idea that that all happened, it's alphabet soup that wrote all the books in the world. And like, mm -hmm. that just happened by accident. I can't yeah. buy it. <laughs> yeah. There, I, I wish I would have thought about this sooner, but there is a, I don't know if he's a biologist or geologist or what, but the guy, you can probably find it by Googling without too much trouble. But the guy says, I constantly have to remind myself that what looks to be, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, looks to be um, by design is actually random. You got to convince yourself. Yeah, I would, and I can't. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, I found it fascinating um, that all of the creatures, because I actually am doing some parallel reading, not as part of this, but just on my own, in Isaiah. And it talks about the uh, the bear and the lion grazing. Mm -hmm. And I realized, yeah, actually, all of the things that were created. Now, my assumption is that the lion then looked exactly like the lion now. I have no <laughs> idea. I wasn't there. Those yeah. teeth, man. I know. I think about <laughs> that. What if the lion smiled and he had like a set of big, dentures? Big, you know, grass-chomping horse teeth. I don't know. It's bizarre. <laughs> it's like when they paste dentures into pictures of babies. It's oh, like, what? Yeah. Yeah. That's wrong. Yeah. So I don't know what these things all look like. But it's quite clear that in the beginning... Everything was eating plants because nothing, no animals anyways, were to die mm -hmm. because that's a significant thing that happens when sin shows up. Correct. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about man being made in God's image because um, I think that's really important. And the, the things that I saw right off the bat is that it says that God gave man dominion yep. over dominion. everything. Um, so, you know, what does it mean to have dominion over things? Um, in my mind, it's that. We certainly have power over all of the other things created here. I mean, we have a, an ability to um, affect everything around us, I think, in a way that the other animals on the planet don't seem to show. I mean, obviously, I mean, we can get into all kinds of political debates these days over things about environment and, um, you know, preservation uh, versus... Um, Utilization. Utilization. Yeah. Yeah. I, that word dominion popped out to me too. But for me, I don't know how that actually hits the road, but the, the lens through which I see these things is that God is saying, here, you're in charge of this. Mm -hmm. And if, if I, um, you know, if I, if I left the house, I've got a, uh, two kids. And if I left the house and said, kids, you're in charge of the house. And I came back and find out that they lit my truck on fire and were roasting marshmallows over it. And they said, well, you said just that, you know, this is ours to take care of. I'm like, to take care of? Like, I, want, yeah. I want it back. Stewardship. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not to, not to just burn it up. If I, you know, we don't have a pet now. But we used to have huskies. Yeah, is there I said, a parallel here? Because I feel like maybe Dominion went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> in a number of ways. But uh <laughs> Uh, when I wasn't traveling so much, we had uh, huskies. And if I were to leave and say, kids, you're, you're in charge, take care of the animals. And I came back and they found out they had barbecued and ate them. I think, well, um, it's not what I had in mind. Um, now, I think that where we are now is a bit of a different place. But my, my, my point is, is that when we're given dominion, we're given charge of something. The own, we're not the owner. Right. We didn't originate it. We didn't own it. And back to Genesis 1.1, we didn't just find this pre-existing on its own. And we're like, hey, look what I found. What could we do with this? Yeah. We were given something mm -hmm. that was created, not by us. And we were given a task to, whatever how you ever want to interpret dominion of the thing, was that's not ours. Yeah, We're to be managers of the thing. I think you said, what did you say? You said uh, stewards. Yeah. Well, that's what, I mean, come New Testament time, they start calling it stewardship. And that, that, word kind of res it's an old word we don't really use it anymore but it kind of resonates with me and it's it's a for me it's a continual reminder that it's not mine i'm down here i'm living my life i'm earning stuff i'm building stuff i'm buying stuff i'm doing stuff but it's not my stuff i'm managing the stuff as i yeah. see fit within my own life 
am I doing that? Am I using God's resources, which is me and the people I interact with and the things that I'm doing, right? Those are all God's resources. Mm -hmm. Am I using those wisely and carefully and for God's glory and that kind of thing? Yeah. No, that's good. Um, yeah. So there's some, I don't, there's a lot of interesting things that go on there. Um, chapter two. Yeah. Let's look into chapter two here a little bit. Um, Okay, so there was this thing in chapter two that jumped out at me, and this is incredibly trivial, but for some reason I had never noticed it before. So to me, when I'm thinking about the early earth, I'm I'm thinking, oh, well, because um, I remember a text, and I must be remembering it out of sequence, but I'm remembering a text that says the mist, it hadn't rained, and the mist came up at night and watered the earth, you know, and stuff like that. And so I, I guess in my head, I had this image of Eden was this place that was planted and cultivated and it was made to be a a home for Adam and Eve. But then the rest of the earth was just kind of growing wild. And then, and then instead it talks about in uh, chapter two, starting in verse five, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. I think what we're doing here is we're, we're doing what the Bible often does. Jump back. Is we're jumping back in time. Mm -hmm. Is that actually two because it repeats itself, um, and we're going to run into that once in a while, and that can throw us off. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what's going on. But yeah. it's interesting that God made, um, he spoke into existence all these things, mm-hmm. and then, but it says he planted yeah. the garden. Yeah, yeah. Right? I noticed that. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a, there's something special about the garden. Yes. Because when Adam and Eve, just to skip ahead, spoiler alert, um, they lose the garden. Um, what? Wait. I know chapter three. But my apartment. You know who didn't read that? <laughs> but as we as we read ahead, they lose the garden and they go outside and it's not like they're just kicked out of the spaceship and say, "Well, here you go." And they you know they can't survive. Oxygen they, tank. Here they you do. Go. Yeah, they survive somehow on the land. As difficult as that is, and it's but it's not the same as the garden. But it's the same planet. Yeah. I mean, they they still have the ability to survive. So something distinctly special about the garden itself. Yeah. It's not like outside the garden. Right. And I brought this up between the three of us before. Um, and I think it might be worth repeating here where I, it's my belief that it was supposed to be the charge for Adam and Eve to expand the garden. I think that the idea was that they would work with God to, uh, to make the whole world into the garden as uh, the population got bigger and that we would all work together to, to work with God, to make, make this into what it was intended to be. Um, cause God doesn't generally seem to just hand you whatever it is he wants for you. He tends to give us opportunities. He tends to give us, um, ideas and thoughts. You know, it's not like he said when I was first being given the idea to do this podcast, he didn't just have equipment drop in my lap and he didn't just have, uh, you know, um, everything made easy for me to do it. I had to move forward, but I really felt like he moved forward with me on this. And so um, same thing with the garden. I really think that, like you said, Eric, it was something special. I mean, that's what makes it a garden. You know, it's not like the rest of your yard. I mean, of course, your yard is probably hopefully better tended. Than, Let's not talk about my garden. Yeah. <laughs> but your yard and your garden is better tended than the empty lot behind your house. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, I mean, it's like all the parts were there, but it, it was different from, from what they were given to live in. Mm-hmm. One of the things that hit me as I get to chapter two is um, God's rest. Mm-hmm. The seventh day, God rests. And he, he, some of the words are he rested, he blessed it, and he made it holy. This was his, this, and this is very unique because of all the creating he did, he created things. Yeah. And on the seventh day, there isn't a thing created. It is a space in time. Mm-hmm. It's a moment, yeah. He creates, like literally we talk about being in the moment, you know, being present. Um, those kinds of things. That's what he does. He mm-hmm. creates time. I mean, time has existed, right? The evening and morning, which is interesting that the Jews reckoned a day. We go, we go midnight to midnight. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, evening. Mm-hmm. They started an evening to a morning or the next day was a day. Because of this. Probably, yeah, because of this, I would think so. And it's very interesting um, 
again, you know, we've all read the Bible before, this language of resting and making it holy and blessing it are the exact words that show up when we come to the Ten Commandments and the Fourth Commandment talking about the Sabbath. I mean, it's pretty much in quotes. And most of the Bibles that I've used that are not denominational Bibles, they reference that directly. It's we go right back to this. And there is in Christendom sometimes this concept that the Ten Commandments and God's laws didn't exist until Exodus, was it 20? 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, where, where the Ten Commandments are given. And I think that's absolutely false. Yeah. I don't think that the Sabbath was a commandment, it was a gift. Mm-hmm. Is a here you go. Likewise, the idea that, well, there wasn't any, there weren't any commandments or any laws. Well, we skip ahead to chapter four here, and again, spoiler alert, um, you know, Cain kills Abel. And if there were no rule, regulation, expectation, God would be like, oh, you know, I, yeah. meant, I, wanted, I meant to tell you, <laughs> don't, don't do that. That's a bad thing. Um, but obviously they had been told a lot of these things that, that we that just go kind of without saying, except when, when they break what later we find out to be uh, God's commandments. And... In, in, in the larger context, what Jesus says, you know, I give you these commands. It's a new command to love each other and to love God with all your heart. It's the same as the Ten Commandments. But we find out that when those things are transgressed, um, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. We refer to the Ten Commandments sometimes as the moral law. And my understanding of that has always kind of been, you know, if you're close to God and you're, you know, arm in arm, walking in step with God, your, your sort of moral compass becomes more like his and these things become intuitive. If you are away from God and you are not walking arm in arm in God and your perspective becomes only your own, they become less intuitive and you have to be told. That's the that's kind of the way I've always seen it. So I don't see it. And Matt, I remember you and I had a con- and you brought in your electricianness into this conversation a while back when we were talking about the Ten Commandments and you were talking about the electrician's code mm-hmm. and you were saying, if I went onto a job site and, and I operated by the electrician's code and I went no further than that, yeah. that would be baseline acceptable work. Yeah. Right? That, that's the worst you're allowed to do. Right. And so, so when I think, and, and that, that's kind of how I see the 10 commandments, like they are the outer guide. Yeah. Like there's a whole lot of room to have a different experience of yeah. things within those, but you hit those limits. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like that stay, stay inside those limits. Yeah. And if you find yourself kind of up against one, continually hitting it, you're like, maybe take a look at that. Maybe yeah. stop and take a look yeah. at that area of your life because you're, you're right at the very edge of what's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. kind of the way I've seen it. Yeah. Matthew five speaks to that. It's like, yeah, you thought just you keep thought. your pants on um, mm-hmm. did that. That was, that was good. But I'm telling you what's going on in your mind is important. Yeah. So, I think there's a certain element to this too. It reminds me of like our Bill of Rights or uh, the opening statement of the Declaration of Independence, where certain things are self-evident. Self-evident. Yep. Um, you know, if you were created by God, then you have a responsibility to, at the very least, respect Him and not have another God over Him. Now, loving Him, I know that's a little harder for some people, um, but. I don't know how you don't have a certain amount of love for the one that made you, you know? Yeah. And then when you get into uh, the commandments that deal with us dealing with other people, I mean, that's, that's the, that's really simple of, you know, that do unto others as you'd have done unto you. You know, if you, it, it's one of the first things you teach your kid as soon as they've got a sibling is, would you want them doing that to you? No, then don't do it. You know? So there's a certain self evidence to it. Um, but being the idiots that the human race are, we need to be told. <laughs> Have you heard the 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 joke about um, for for anybody who believes that the that the God's law ceased to exist at the cross? Try going to their church and dipping into the offering plate when it goes by instead of contributing and see <laughs> see what they think of the law then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I think it's um, it's an interesting thing. We're going to see this. It's, I mean, there's a lot of foundation for things laid in the first few chapters of Genesis, especially one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Um, we find that the equation for who we are is in two, um, I think it's 20, 
eight. Mm -mm. No, Can't no, it's, it's not. It's two, um, sorry, I had that wrong way. It's um, two, seven, is that um, we are there you go. dust plus <laughs> God's breath. Yeah. And when we have dust plus God's breath, we become a living creature. So if we're missing either, either of those things, we're not a living creature anymore. Right. And again, this, this comes to me again in Genesis. All of these things were given to us. Yeah. I mean, our breath of life, our very breath of life is not even ours. Right. It, it is given to us. We don't own it. And we see later in places where God says, yeah, I'm going to take it back. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. Mm -hmm. You're, you are show over. Yeah. 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 It's, just, it's similar to the... You know, we've, I think we've all heard the light bulb analogy. Yeah. You know, and of course we're talking old fashioned incandescent light bulbs because I couldn't tell you how an LED works, but <laughs> the, the principle is still going to be the same though. But, but you know, the old Edison light bulb is, is simple to understand that you've got, you've got this body of a bulb with a filament inside of it. And then when power is delivered to it, that filament glows and then the light bulb does what it was designed to do, which is to light up. But if any part of that fails, I mean, if, if the, the, bulb, the, if the glass bulb. breaks, if the filament breaks and can no longer receive that power, can't receive that electricity anymore, that light bulb is no longer able to function. And uh, Or if you just simply take the electricity away, you flip the switch off and the electricity doesn't go there, it doesn't work. It doesn't function. It's, it's uh, glass and whatever the filament is made out of. Aren't I a good electrician? Yes, you are. <laughs> so I had a note here that's... Um, and interesting, in 2.24, we're talking about the creation of um, the first couple, uh, Adam and Eve, and, and their instructions as to what they were supposed to do. Um, in in 2.24, therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Um, that's quoted a whole lot in weddings, not so much the next verse. And the mm -hmm. man and his wife were naked. <laughs> not a shame. Isn't that the best part of the wedding? <laughs> that's yeah. not the wedding. What was your wedding like? Oh, Heavens, well, man. They ruined it in three because then they were naked and they were ashamed. And they were ashamed. And that's caused yeah. troubles for us ever since. Now that, but, that raises a point of curiosity, not to derail you here, but it's curious to me though that they were ashamed of their nakedness because that's how they had their whole life had been at this point. And we don't know at this point how long they had been running around naked in the no, garden. No idea. You know, I always wondered that, but there's no hint. But it's so interesting to me that all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I don't have any clothes on, but that's not even maybe it was more but, than that. But yeah, but it wasn't just that they didn't have clothes. They felt bad about it. Yes. Yeah. Because that's the part that's, that's really tragic because mm -hmm. that's how they were created and yet there was something shame was introduced at this point and i think it's not without accident that that body shame mm -hmm. starts right there yeah and it starts with sin and so i'd say just as an aside those who are struggling with body shame that's sin folks i mean that 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 is that is thrown into our lives because of sin that's not a God wants you to feel bad about yourself kind of a thing. Yeah. That's the result of a decision that was made pre-existing you and me. But I want to go back to yeah, 224, which is therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. It's the phrase hold fast because that phrase is referenced elsewhere in the Bible. And it is in some of the most unique places. For example, Deuteronomy 10 20 it shows up again and this is the context you shall fear the lord your god again so we get the word fear kind of a little bit mixed up you shall fear the lord your god you shall serve him and hold fast to him and by his name you shall swear that hold fast is the same hold fast that god is using in genesis 2 24 to talk about like physical intimacy, lest yeah. we get this up. Because if and if we're if we're in doubt mm -hmm. about this hold fast, it shows up again, and I believe it's in Corinthians where it talks about do not join yourself to a prostitute. Oh yeah. And the and the the, the this is how I discovered it, figured it out backwards because the the root of that 
join yourself to a prostitute is pulled fast. And that references Deuteronomy 10, 20, which references Genesis 2.24. This is explicitly talking about in, 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 in the New Testament version and Deuteronomy, we're talking about with God, but in Genesis, we're talking about man and wife, that in Deuteronomy and in elsewhere, that is the kind of relationship God wants us to have, not just with each other in the context of this marriage, this first marriage, but with him. Yeah. He's saying, I want you to hold fast to me. Yeah. And that's... That is a level of intimacy that a lot of us are a little bit uncomfortable with, especially as we relate it to shame. We're like, oh, yeah. And we see it. We see it in, in three. And that's one of the first things that's broken is intimacy. Yeah. God shows up in the garden. He's walking in the garden. He's like, hey, uh, where are you guys? And what did they say? Oh, we were naked and ashamed. So and so we hid. We hid. We hid. And that is that, that brokenness of intimacy with God that happens like so early and sad. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that broken intimacy that makes us feel shame and makes us run away. Yeah. Yeah. And that story uh, reveals um, a relationship that we were supposed to have with God too, because when God comes to the garden and he's looking for Adam and Eve, like, Hey, let's hang out. Let's talk. Let's walk around. Let's decide where we're going to put some flowers today, you know? And, uh, now that's, that's gone. So <clears throat> there's an interesting thing that I think humanity does. I think humanity as a whole does it because it's convenient for the individuals. And that is we, we separate ourselves into pieces. So over here, I have my emotions and over here, I have my thoughts and over here, I have my sexuality. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's convenient to modern society. Like, a single person can just like go out and get theirs and that's no big deal because they're not dabbling in love. And I guess to, <clears throat> to me, this is an indication that we were created holistic, right? Like we are that entire creature. And, and the reason I'm getting that is because the same intimacy, like we don't think of God as our relationship with God isn't sexual, even when it's at its best, mm -hmm. but the, the same foundational intimacy, the complete intimacy becomes sexual when you have, a human partner, right? And then if we go fast forward to Corinthians, like nobody goes to a prostitute and is like, I think I found love. Right. Like no one would consider that intimacy, but the indication there is it's the same thing. Because Don't violate it. Because we've inverted exactly. what is at the core. Mm -hmm. We yeah. thought the biological, physiological, this part goes to that part. Right. Was that's the center of everything. Mm -hmm. And as we see here, and as, as experience teaches us over time, no, actually, that is not the that is not the solution to everything. That's right. not the, you can have the physical this plus this equals wow, but then there's still the emotional intimacy that can be very absent from that. Right, and that is the thing that makes it over the long haul. Yeah, is it that intimacy that that we see here that God wanted with them that they broke, and just to skip ahead. Again, um, this is something that actually really blew me away. Um, Cain and Abel. Um, again, spoiler alert. Um, Cain kills Abel. And there's, there's all kinds of implications about his sacrifice and what he didn't do uh, right there. But this I, it had never struck me before because I was just always so angry at Cain. Like, Cain's just such a bad, bad person. And he's done this. and He's so wicked and it's... And it's awful. And he's all of those things that he was just a villain to me. Mm -hmm. right? Wasn't yeah. it? But in, in 14, in 414, um, God's talking to um, to Cain. And in 13, Cain says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. It's like, dude, you deserve to die, right? I have no sympathy for him. Mm -hmm. He's And he's talking. He says, behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. And he loved to till the ground. He was a farmer. And um, so he said, this is too much. And from your face, I shall be hidden. And I saw that. I thought, whoa. Oh, I never noticed that. that. He is, one of the things that he says is too much for me to bear is that I won't see your face. Wow. Never noticed that. Yeah. Me either. I was just too mad at him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's first, <coughs> if we call it Adam and Eve, first generation, I guess. He's second generation. Mm -hmm. God's son. 
And he says, I won't be able to see your face anymore. And this is, it's too much. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, there it is again. Relationship. Yeah. Is that he's hard. He's a murderer for crying out loud. He mm. murdered his brother. And he's saying, ah, to be separated from you is too much. And I think, wow, we have come a long ways when we're scared of God. Yeah. Say, God, you're so mean and bad. I'm just going to go hide. This dude killed his, like, as we assume, the only other sibling on the planet. Over a sacrifice to God. Yeah. yeah. And so, and he's saying, ah, I'm going to be separated from you. And it's, it's, it's crushing me. I don't know. That just, that just struck me as we sell intimacy and relationship with God way short. Yeah, I think so. When yeah. we have a murderer killing what? Uh, 25% of the population of the earth <laughs> it, it, at one time. And he's feeling bad because he'll be separated from God. I don't know. That's, he had some kind of relationship with God even before this. And even after this, that is something hard for me to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah, it only makes me think, too, how we're very quick to write off people who do bad things uh, without stopping to think about their emotional state in it. Um, it's real easy to think, well, I would have never done that, and so that person must not be worth my time. Um, but we never know. We never know what's driven them to that. We never know what's going on in their heads after that. Um and understanding, like we were talking about before, the shame that they may be feeling. And we have no idea. Yeah, and God sees he's worthwhile. He has a conversation with him. And he specifically sets up protection for him. He says, no, I'm not going to mm-hmm. let anybody kill you in revenge. He's still his child. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It really is fascinating to an think. An interesting that, thing. I mean, that's, you know, that's some of that. I mean, that's grace. That's grace in the Old Testament that people Straight want out. to not see. They want to see a judgment, judgmental. So, so you're talking God. about grace? Adam and Eve didn't do anything to deserve the garden. Right. And they sinned. And here in three, we see the first hint of their salvation, uh, 3.15. He shall, he's, God is talking to the serpent here, and he says, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Well, at the time, I mean, Adam and Eve, they don't know what this is about. plan's already in place. The plan's already in place. And I've wondered if the serpent knew what this meant, or if he's like, Sue, what are you talking about here? (laughs) Um, By the time we hit New Testament, we understand who Christ is and what's happened. Mm -hmm. We understand this is straight-up prophecy here of the victory of Christ over Satan. Um, But this, is again, is grace. The only thing Adam and Eve had done by this time that this recorded here anyways, is screw up. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it's not even that, that like God said, well, you know what? Since you did such an awesome job with that part of the garden, you know, um, okay, like let's make a deal. I'll, I'll offer you, you know, this, 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 uh, I'm all again. Um, and as I've spoken of before, if anyone was good enough to deserve a mulligan based on their behavior, it would be Adam and Eve. It's like they ate something. Like, okay, who, who, raise your hand if you've ever done something worse than that. Yeah. Um, but sin, this breaking relationship with God, breaking trust with God, is a big deal. Because that's Satan's first thing. When he shows up here in threes, he starts questioning. He's like, did God really say this? Yeah. And so what Eve did, as, as I understand it, as I read this, is broke trust. Mm-hmm. She was, and as we read in the New Testament, she was, Eve was deceived. And then later it, it says that the man wasn't deceived, which I don't think is a great thing because he knew what he was about to do yeah. was wrong and he did it. Yeah. There's no heroism in that. Sorry. No, no. That's passive. It's like, I, I would love to say I would never have done that, but that is probably <laughs> not true. Um, yeah. But he, he, went into it with his eyes open um and he he just said yeah oh well i'm gonna i'm gonna do this whatever that that meant eve eve believed the serpent and the he, he, he the serpent brings up two things he says you know did god really say this stuff so he's insinuating doubt yeah 
And then the very next thing he does is he just flat out says, that's not true. Yeah. You're yeah. not gonna, you're not gonna die. One way or another, if that's his hint at you have immortality innate, but we, we learned that our our life is our physical dust mm -hmm. plus God's breath. And Satan's like, you will you will in four, in three, four, you will not surely die. And not just a denial of that, but an establishment of a new and interesting possibility of what right. could be that, by the way, turns out to be a horrendous partial truth. Yeah, it's yeah. A partial truth. I'm going to say, I think he, he he deceives a lot through through partial truth because here it's Adam and Eve did die, but not that day. It wasn't that day, and I think that's where he comes in with a with that partial truth. It's like, well, you're, it's not like you're going to drop dead, you know, which is what should have happened. You know, also, uh, that's a tricky statement to say to a human being who has never seen death and yeah. like only has a theory of what that means. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't you want to find out about this? Yeah. Yeah. Stick your finger in the socket. Lick it first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and here's a metal blade. See what happens if you Oof. stick this in the socket. And yes, Adam and Eve did, in fact, learn. Um, <laughs> and they, so have yeah. we all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. we see Grace come in in 315. And it's interesting, in 322, this idea that later we see over and over and over, especially in the New Testament when Jesus talks about saving people, he says, this will be given to you. This eternal life is given to you. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you do not have life. Yeah. Is Satan's been saying, hey, you're immortal. You, you don't actually need this God. Maybe he needs to sort you into one of several baskets at the end of all things. Don't worry about it. You're not going to die. And it's interesting, in 322, it's pretty obvious that we are mortal. It's it, God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take of the tree of life and yep. eat, live forever. Yep. So yeah. basically, their, their ability to live forever was contingent on getting their hands on that tree of life. Yeah. It says, no, you, you can't have it. Yeah. And he puts him outside the garden and he puts a, an amazing supernatural uh, guard uh, in, in front, apparently with a, a laser sword. Um, and lightsaber. Yeah, the lightsaber. Definitely a lightsaber. I think so. I'm a blue you. one. I'm with you on the lightsaber thing. So he puts him outside and says, you can't have this and you can't live forever. Now we could say, well, that's that's temporal life. And maybe it was, but I, I think that we, we were meant to live forever in a temporal way. That is... That is that was the plan. Mm -hmm. The plan was we were literally supposed to live forever in these bodies that we have, better than mine. And mine. Second, yeah. I second that. But we were we were meant to live forever. And it's something in that tree of we've been searching for that tree of life ever since, um, in, in various ways. You've seen the vitamin section at the store. There you go. Yeah, no kidding. So we've been searching for it, but God says. You're not, it's not safe for you to have that now. And me, myself, at this point, I'm okay with that. Mm. Adam and Eve are like, hey, I'd just like to find out what's behind door number one. And I'm in when God said, Nope, that's not for you, I'm okay with just saying, no, you know what? I'm gonna wait for him to open the door when it's time. I'm not gonna worry about it until then. Yeah. I think without their less than shining example, though, I'd you know, I can't guarantee I wouldn't have been like, hey, what does this taste like? This looks pretty. It would have been interesting. Um, also, again, completely trivial curiosity. I think the tree of life in the like Revelation, I think they say that it bears a different fruit every month. Isn't that the one that starts on yes. the river and goes to the other side of the river and bears a, bears a different fruit every month? That's the one. I'm, yeah. I've always been curious whether it was kind of like that in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. You know, we picture it as like the classic apple tree or whatever, just for the, <laughs> sake, of, the sake of discussion. But it's like, hmm, what was that really? Yeah. Someday I'll find out. You know, those little myths that comes in that it was an apple, an apple. and that Eve was a temptress. I don't like that. I don't like that Eve has been painted as a temptress in some circles of thought. I never saw her that way myself, but um, just as someone well, who had been deceived. Eve and, can be whatever she was, but if Adam went for it, he's the dude I want to slap. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on. Like, if you knew. Uh, anyways, I, I have done worse, so I'm in no position to. Yeah. Um. You know, some people might ask, why was that tree put in the garden to begin with? Um, I think it's so that we had a choice. Because you can't, you can never force love. And if you don't have a choice, you don't have love. 
And if that's one thing that we need to take from the Bible, it's that, you know, the idea that God is love. Well, what is love without the ability to say no? You know, that may be the most fundamental right that human beings have is the ability to say no. There's a lot of talk in politics about what is a right and what's not a right. And uh, the way I see it, the number one right that we have is the right to say no to anything. Um, it could turn out bad for us. It could turn bad for the people around us, but we still have the right as individuals to say, no, I don't want to do that or no, I don't want to accept that. Self-efficacy. Yeah, it can't be. You, you make an important point is that we have the ability to say no. Now, mm -hmm. the consequences we might not be able to say no to. Right. But there is no way one human being can force another human being to, in their mind, say yes to a thing. We, you can't because they can say no. No, no, no. Well, I'll kill you. I'll do this other stuff. They can still say no. Now, the consequences they might not be able to avoid. But to go back to your to your point, Matt, the ability to say no and to make up our own minds is a it's a it's a fundamental thing. Mm -hmm. And Adam and Eve did in fact pay the consequences of this. And um, you know, there we go. So yeah. there's been an interesting outfall from all of this over the you know thousands of years since all this happened. So again, going back to my atheist friend here in town, she's a scientist, and so she understands biology and self-propagation and this, that, and the other thing. And when she thinks about God, one of the things that makes her reject the concept is this, if you deny me, right? If you don't love me, I'll kill you, right? That mm. really bothers her. Yeah. And so since she's- As it should. Right. And so yeah. since she's, and that, and that is one of the big perceptions that this whole situation back in Genesis read is like, now you have to choose a side because, and if you, and if you're on the wrong side, you die. And so for her, she feels like her sense of choice is being violated. Mm. And, and the way, since she's a science person, the way that I've talked to her about it over the years, she now, now, by the way, she considers herself agnostic. So you're we're working on her. There. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> I'm not working on her. I'm just like spouting nonsense every once in a while. But um, one of the th things that I've said is, okay, but you're thinking of God as a spiritual being. I said, I think of God as science, like God is science. Mm -hmm. He built the rules of biology, the stuff that you admire and that you study and that you value so much. Yeah. And you understand that this follows that. And if the pre-steps don't happen, these steps down here can't happen. If, if God is science and somebody chooses to step away from the source of life, that's they might in their head they might be making a love decision but there is also a biological result of that right and she's like oh yeah okay okay now i can actually i can actually understand that i can get behind that yeah so goes, yeah it goes to in these first these first few chapters what was supposed to be yeah and then what was yeah and we get a it, it's actually it's a good thing because maybe we would spend all our time pining for it there's not a lot of description of this garden or how awesome it was or, or what they did there or anything like that. There's really very little record of that at all. Yeah. But what immediately follows Adam and Eve's choice to listen to the serpent and to basically fail the test, um, the immediate consequences are all broken relationships. It's a broken relationship between I mean, it's the first thing. God walks in and is like, hey, where are you? We're hiding. Mm -hmm. And then the very next thing is, he says, hey, what is this? And they start blaming each other. Yeah. Adam Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Um, and then, so all of those relationships are broken. The creator and Adam and Eve have a broken relationship. You can imagine being the mother of the only two other human beings on the planet, two boys, and one of them kills the other one. And now the one that's living goes away. You've just lost all of your children in one moment. Yeah. That relationship is broken. Cain says, hey, God, I can't see your, you know, I'm going to miss your face. It's more, it's, you know, from your face, I shall be hidden. And all of these things are broken relationships. And how many things in this world that cause us pain is a misapplied desire to reestablish those broken relationships? 
Mm -hmm. And we've studied addictions now. We understand that addictions, a large portion of it, is a desire to fill a broken relationship. Mm -hmm. And the antidote to a lot of addictions is established and strong relationships. That it just it goes on and on and on and on. That relationships, it's it's a cause and effect, but it's different than I'm angry at you is versus this is a natural result of a broken relationship. Mm -hmm. And if you seek to fill it with these other things, trouble results. And, yeah. I, and I think if you lose, I think if, if humans lose track of themselves as relational beings, they lose sight of where the problem lies. Okay, so if I think I'm just me, like I'm just going through life, I'm me, I'm supposed to be like this kind of complete creature all on my own, then if I feel a gap inside myself, I don't, I don't necessarily think to go to my relationships. I don't stop to think, well, am I doing part of it wrong? Like, am I missing an aspect of what I need? All I think is me, me, me. How can I fill that gap? And then you end up with this kind of like self-destructive behaviors or these little band-aids that we put on things as we go through. Ah, whatever. Yeah. It just, it, and it's, again, it's a misguided attempt, but it's like not even recognition of where the problem lies. There's too much self. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like I'm driving my car. It's like, man, this engine's making a horrible noise. Turn up the radio. I think I'll just turn up the music. Let's do it. It's a great solution. How yeah. often do we do that? Yeah. I do it often. <laughs> so, um, I have a copy of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Where are we at on time, by the We're way? We're coming up on an hour. Okay. Um, I have a copy of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I'm fascinated by the early references to some of this stuff. I don't know where they fit into importance of stuff like this but there's there's all these references to early cities and i've always been so curious you know cain has his his run-in with abel it goes horribly he's punished he's sent out and we're only told about adam eve cain and abel at this point and yet cain's got a wife and he goes and builds a city really for who yeah. who's he building a city for is it, are he and his wife like the mayor and the, you know, like who collects taxes? You know what I mean? So there's, there's some, we're missing some stuff. Like you yeah, said, we're not we're told all of it. We're missing a lot of stuff. Yeah, like, well, we're assuming that Cain and Abel were the only two at the time. <laughs> they could, there there could have been other kids. I mean, clearly, um, because he was married. At yeah. some point there were. I mean, Before, after. Old Testament know. doesn't always tend to talk about the girls. Hey. You know. Hey. It's true. Hey. <laughs> Just because we ate the apple. It's your fault. Yeah, so the guys. <laughs> yeah, but so I, it's been my kind of assumption that there probably were other kids involved, even when Cain and Abel had their interaction. Yeah, but Cain and Abel are the ones that got talked about because they're the ones who had the story that yeah. was interesting. I guess it's like the credits at the end of a movie. You know, the, the stars back in the '80s they were they would show their names before the movie began. Yeah. Um, now they don't at the end. But then you look at all those other names that scroll up. Yeah, it wasn't just those six people. <laughs> yeah, right. So speaking exactly. of anyway, people, fascinating. we have yep. uh, chapter, chapter five, five, which is a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. People. There's, uh, I mean, you get an interesting <clears throat> timeline there because chapter four ends with, you know, Seth had kids. Um, and I think that's where you start to see the departure of, God's people versus I'm going to call them the sons of God versus sons of man. And I think that will come up later when we, when we get reading where you have the line of Seth versus the line of Cain. Um, but we can talk about that when we get to there, whenever we do. Um, but here you see that, that separation of, of modes of thought. Um, although you've kind of changed my mind about Cain a little bit here. So uh, Eric, so that that's really interesting. Um, if my math is correct, chapter five spans roughly 1500 years, if I did my math right in there. And that's from, and that goes all the way from Adam, um, all the way up to Noah's time. Cause it, it ends with Noah's kids. Chapter five ends with Noah's kids. So to me, the great unknown there is, did they start counting people's age and time at the fall when time started to matter? Hmm. Or did they, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. yeah, right. Did Adam cruise out of the garden at like year six hundred? Right. Yeah, yeah. It makes it, it. It's a. It's an interesting curiosity. I don't know if it's really important. I'm gonna go with no for it's not in here. the narrative of the Bible. <laughs> well, but we need to know, I guess not. But yeah. I'm curious. But yeah. yeah, it's. I'm curious. It's interesting because yeah, did they? Does the time start at the fall, or does the time start when? Yeah, time didn't matter before that. Yeah. Look, real life. Yeah. 
So I, I, I find it cool um, that we have Enoch walked with God. Um, yeah, and it's an and interesting it, aside there because it's all it's a lot of this guy had this kid and he lived for so many years and then he lived for this long after, but then all of a sudden it stops and, and then Enoch, Enoch walked with God. Yeah. And he was not, for God took him. Okay, on to Methuselah. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, 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 tell me. And say, yeah. And, and you know, if I had read this happen? without any context or without the without the benefit of um, other Bible and tradition, I would just think, you know, Enoch walked with God and he was not. He's like the first missing person, right? But we're, we're told later we find out that God took Enoch, whatever, whatever that means. And a friend of mine gave me the most beautiful metaphor for that, that I think is where it matters. And I think that's what we should be, this is what I look for when I read the Bible, is and how does this matter? There's like, oh, that's an interesting fact, you know? But then how does that matter to me? Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. And this Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. He describes it this way, is that Enoch and God walked together every day, every day, every day. And they walked farther and farther every day. They just took longer and longer and longer and longer. <laughs> and, <laughs> and one day, God said, you know, Enoch, we're closer to my house than your house. You want to come over just, for dinner? Why don't you just come over with me? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. And I just think as a, as a goal, as we read these words, as we study this stuff, to walk farther and farther and farther with God. Um, not expecting to be translated and then they're like, hey, where did it go? But just that idea of its relationship. You know, that, I think that's fascinating. It doesn't say, you know, Enoch figured out all of the calculus having to do with time-based prophecies. And God said, you win, ding, 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 ding. And you get, he didn't say that. Yeah. He said he just walked with God. Yeah. That's pretty organic. I mean, that's, that doesn't take a slight rule and a, you know, a, a, an advanced math, you know, calculator and, and, and set of timesheets to, to, you know, or prophecy logs to figure that out. It's walking with God. Yeah. Do you guys remember the reference to Enoch in Jude? I do not. In Jude verse 14, it says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them say, and said, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and convict those who are ungodly, blah, blah, blah. And so this is, this is Jude. This is all the way down at the time of Christ and a brother of James. Yeah. And we don't have a book of Enoch. Like my Bible's missing the book of Enoch. Yeah. But they know about this stuff. They, yeah. prophesied. they have Enoch's prophecies still yeah. at the time of Christ. That is amazing stuff there. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, it makes me wonder what scripture is going to be like in heaven. Bigger. You know, I mean, we have that's this book of is. how many chapters, but well, how many authors. Fill in a lot of gaps. I mean, like, so let's talk about the garden. How exactly, like, how long is that? What happened? We'll figure these, I think we'll figure these things out. Um, but that's, I guess that's for, that's, um, some of these things are told to us, some are not. Yeah, uh, it's fascinating how some of these little aside things and Jude's full of those. Jude drops a few of those little <laughs> things in there. We're like, hey, could you expand on that a little bit? And he doesn't. No, he's got like twenty-five verses of cryptic curiosity. Yeah. So yeah. they were made in the likeness of God. They procreated. Um, they're basically, as I look at this, they're coasting on their good genes <laughs> as, yeah. as the years as the years go on and on and on. Which is a fascinating thing. As we'll see, as increasing corruption and the flood comes a precipitous drop in the longevity of people. Oh, yeah. Their environment changes, um, their diet changes. There's all kinds of things that happen, and we we turn a sharp corner from the way things were. And it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allude to this now, to talk about it later, <laughs> is, is that we have the um, angel guarding the uh, tree of life here at the end of three, and it's they place the cherubim, and when we see cherubim show up later in, in art or in other places, these are not cherubs like on little Hallmark. They're not fat, chubby little babies with little tiny bow hmm. and arrows. Right. These guys were business. Oh, yeah. These guys were big. These were hardcore business. And it's funny how over time, it's not funny at all, actually, how we've twisted these things that were God things, and we have made them to be... Um, 
something other than what they were. Like a cartoon of the yeah. real thing. Yeah. Just like this little unimportant little yeah. thing you can laugh at. And, and it strikes me is that everybody in chapter five, as far as I can tell, until the flood, could have walked over to the gate to the garden mm-hmm. and looked at that chariot yeah. with the flaming sword. Yeah. And so this idea of like, yeah, you pretty much all just got here by accident. It didn't really happen. It's just, a, you, know, you can go look at the garden. You have any question? Go. Yeah. There is no questioning in these early. There's there is no questioning at all in this in the Pentateuch here of that there is a God. Yeah. None. Go right? talk to Adam. He'll tell you the story firsthand. Now you could have, you could come up with attribution like who, what's he like? What does he want? Who is he? You know, is he the stars? Is he the sun? Whatever, whatever. But the idea that there is a God that is a creator is understood by everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Part of my math here I did that 15, 1,556 years between Adam to Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Yeah. Adam lived for 930 years. So right. that means there was very little time when yes. people even couldn't have just gone to talk to That's Adam. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Go see Grandpa Adam. I'll yeah. tell you the story. Yeah. Amazing. Fascinating stuff. That's going to about do it for this first episode. We hope that you have found some blessing in it. We hope that you've enjoyed it. We hope that you have been uplifted by it. In the meantime, we uh, hope to talk to you again next week as we discuss Genesis chapter 6 through 11. We'll talk to you then. Bye.